Hi girls and welcome to Sisterhood HQ podcast. In episode one I'm going to be describing myself and letting you all know the ins and outs of my life, where I've been, what I've done and who I am. So the whole point of Sisterhood HQ is to build a network of women who all support each other, who are there for each other and all promote each other as well. So for years and years and years there's always been groups of men and the Masons is one of the big examples and you know they've all scratched each other's back and they've all made sure that if there was something going they put each other forward and that is what we are going to do girls we are going to build the biggest network that if we hear something or you know someone says oh do you know what's going there but they need a solicitor and we're in our network there's a solicitor we put that person forward we push each other to the front to the front to the front and we take over that is what we are all about it's been about men for too long and now it's our turn we are going to shine we're going to push each other right up to the top that is my vision i've wanted to do this for so long and I've always said, oh, yeah, I will do it, I will do it. And I never, ever get round to doing it because something always comes along or, you know, you just totally get diverted. So when lockdown come, I thought, you know what? Now is the time. Now is the time to pull together. And, um, you know, we're going to be hitting a recession as well. So we need to support each other. I've said it for years and now I'm actually acting on my words and getting it out there. So let me introduce myself. My name is Kate Stewart and I am 38 years old. I'm a mum of four and I am from Liverpool in England. I come from quite humble background. I'm not an educated person. I didn't go to university and I'm a shit speller. Um, so I'm not a convention, your conventional businesswoman. I have got to where I am through sheer determination, confidence, believing in myself and thinking on my feet. So I am going to begin with me at school. And if you're going to be bored, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm telling you this anyway. So at school, I was a bright pupil, um, but I was naughty. I just didn't get it. You know, I'd rather spend my time smoking in the bushes than going to learn about... Ari, I mean, in my life, coming from like a council estate, it didn't matter one iota in my life about what people were doing in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It was like, oh, I'd rather go and smoke in the bushes. Just waiting for me. So I'd sag school and I'd be a little cow. And I think I wanted to work, to be honest. I wasn't as if like I was just going to be going bum round. So at 14, one of the lads on our estate, his dad was a bouncer in town and he owned a burger van. So I was working Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights on Matthew Street, which is one of the most famous, you know, streets in the world, full of people who are pissed. And I was selling hamburgers on a burger van. So we got to know all the doormen and do you know what? Some of them are still lead and speak to and you know we were like a community so if anything happens used to turn the light switch on and off on and off and they all come running up to rescue yeah thought I was dead or didn't I all these women like yeah fresh the light I'm going to get you done in now you've just called me a slag um 
but yeah, do you know what? All my mates used to come down there and we all used to hang down and we thought we'd dead grown up, we weren't, we were babies, but and there's a few things that you know went on down there that I can't say on this, but yeah little bastard working on Matthew Street and the BBC come along and said you know we're making a program about young people who work it's called grafters will you take part and the lad who were waiting was like absolutely not no I was like yeah come on then oh god so brassy so mingy like proper I look back now and cringe inside but at the time I thought it was all great so we're getting filmed thought we were like Hollywood film stars cameras following us round um, and our local club was the venue, and you used to go there for Friday night, pay a tenner in, and it was all your ale, and it was all about going here. So we've took the cameras with us, goes in, gets to the front of the queue, gets filmed in there. It was like the be-all and end-all of our lives. It was brilliant. And then, so the programme comes out and everything else, and there was murder. Everyone was phoning up the talk show and radio, said, she's a disgrace. Okay, I went that bad, like, friggin' hell, at least I was at work. And I um, goes to go to the venue then on the Sunday, and the fellow wrote it was like, you, get away, you've been on telly, and you're only 14 coming in here, I've never had my licence out. I got bored. You bastard. Ugh. So I'm just giving you a little insight. So even then I was still in school, and but I wanted nice things, and I did want to work for them. I didn't just want to, like, go and get a fella and get them to pay for it. So, I, in the end, I can't remember actually why, because it seems like another lifetime ago, but I did get through out of school. I went and got a job in the Adelphi Hotel. The girl next door, she already worked there, and she was like, oh, I'll get you a job in there. So, I went and worked in the Adelphi, which is a big hotel in Liverpool, and they were actually making a programme about that. Everyone had seen Um and I shit you not right, we used to have to go into the rooms and there would be used condoms on the floor and we had to pick them up. Imagine now, you'd have to do a risk assessment on it. It was like, no, get them picked up. It was like, Ugh! and that's what we had to do. And there was a thing called doubling up. So you'd, you used to get like, you go in and you get 20 rooms to clean and the other girl would get 20. So you'd go, come on, we'll do the 40 between us. I don't know why because it probably took the same amount of time and the manager caught us and sacked us for it it was like oh, didn't want the job anyway it was shit I think we were literally on about £1.70 an hour you just get your wages in a brown envelope so from there I done another couple of um, chamber maiden jobs in a couple of different hotels and I absolutely hated it hated it you used to have to be in at like stupid o'clock at 6 o'clock in the morning shove cleaning other people's shit basically that's what we were doing I was like you know what this isn't for me so when we stepped up in the world didn't I and got a job at a sport shop I thought I'd made it I was like oh put them you know what I was most made up of where I had this t-shirt and I had a name badge you know that was like I was like you know I've done it I've got a name badge and we did have a laugh in there it was like other young people and um the, the manager who we work for, <laughs> work for um, his name was Eddie, and he had this Fleetwood Mac tape that he absolutely loved. So we'd all go, oh my God, this that tape, if I have to listen to that one more time, I am absolutely going to have a breakdown. So one day, I thought it was hilarious, and got his tape and hid it. There was a thing in the floor that you had to open up, and it was like down to, you could have access in that um, pipes, I think, and I threw it down there, and like, 
done it. He's like, where's my Fleetwood Mac tape? And I was like, I don't know. Gobshite. He went and looked at the cameras and seen that I'd killed the same his Fleetwood Mac tape. And he got me in the office. He was like, you are a rotten apple. And you know what rotten apples do? They rot the rest of the apples. So what would I do with this rotten apple? You're right. You've guessed it. You're out the door. Got sacked. Because he was a wall and loved Fleetwood Mac. And I thought it was hilarious. So anyway, but while I'd worked in there, I'd met a lad. And um, I hadn't been with him that long. I ended up getting pregnant. So I was pregnant at 17. And I think at first I was actually made up. I was like, uh, uh, now you look back and think I was a child who was pregnant but at the time you don't realise that it, it, dad was six years older than me um, and he really wanted a baby as well he hadn't had a conventional upbringing neither and neither had I um, my mum had got pregnant at 19 and she the uh, she told me that you know the person who she got pregnant who was married and he didn't want to know and he was like give her money for an abortion and she'd spent the money on a pram and she lived at home with her mum and dad. So there was, it was a three-bedroom semi. So there was a, me nan, me granddad, me nan's dad, who was an alcoholic, by the way. He had the small bedroom. Um, but in them days, he went out. Like, we didn't look at it that he was alcoholic. He just loved to bevy. Um, and then my mum and her, uh, Christine, Alice, and three sisters. So in one bedroom, there was me mother, uh, three sisters and me. I got in the middle in a double bed. And don't get me wrong, I was ruined in the house because everyone loved me, but I didn't have a normal family background. It wasn't like 2.4 children or whatever it's called. It wasn't like that. So I think I've always craved that male role or attention in my life, and that has been a massive, massive part of my fuck-ups along the way as well. So... I was, my mum had gone on to get married, she's had two kids and everything else, and I just always felt like I didn't really fit in, and it was probably me as well, you know, I'm not standing here saying, oh, it's everyone else's fault, I was a little shit, I had a bad attitude, and, but yeah, I hadn't, I felt like I didn't fit in, and I didn't really belong anywhere, so when I got pregnant, I was like, okay, I think I wanted it, if I'm totally honest, I got a house, a two-bit little two up and two down, and the baby sad had done it all up and everything else, and everything was good. And do you know what? We had a laugh. We were kids ourselves, and we used to wait for a Sunday night, and Pete Price used to do his phone-in, and all week we'd plan out a, what we were going to ring Pete Price and wind him up with, because it was just hilarious to hear him flip. And then the R woman next door, we used to ring... <laughs> it's cool. We used to ring DJs off and book them. <laughs> we're, in, we're having a nudist party. Can you turn up and <laughs> for your DJ and your nudes? <laughs> the one, to be fair, the woman next door wasn't our bastard. Like. But yeah, so we were just wind-ups and we did have a laugh. But it turned sour and we split up and I had the baby on my own. But I have had loads of support. So my nan, my mum... Um, his mum and dad used to still have the baby, he never, oh he did actually, sorry I'm lying, he did used to have it as well, he was dead good at first, he'd have it over weekends and stuff, so yeah I had this baby but I'd go out and party over weekend and was I the best of mother then, probably not now because 
a child having a child is never going to be the example mother. And now I look back and I think, yeah, I've got regrets with it. But I was trying to live my own life while having a baby. Not the best life, but it is what it is, isn't it? So having here on my own, my mum and dad had a sunbed shop. I went and worked in there. And I can remember being on £2.50 an hour and thinking, I want more than this, you know. I want more. We used to go out with like a tenner and drink cider and black and probably get ten ciggies between us and be like, Egg, you've had four pulls of that. Give me a back. Arguing. But that's just how we were brought up and what we done. So we went and done a few beauty courses and to be honest, I weren't the best. I remember spraying, doing spray tatans had just come out and I remember doing them like praying, my fingers crossed behind my back, thinking, please, God, do not end up stripy, bright orange. And the phone would go in the shop, and I'd think, oh, I don't want an answer in case it's someone to complain. They never did. But that, as you're young and that, that is your confidence, isn't it? That's where you've got to build it. And you just you think, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. And it's you all me mates' eyebrows and that. But then that didn't really, you know, it didn't spark anything in me. Um, I was meeting people and uh, so I'm from a council estate anyway so you end up mixing with people who are from your own estate do you know what I mean so they wasn't the best people Um, that was just our way of life though I'm not criticising or whatever and probably be naughty and stuff like that but that's who we mixed with and that was our kind of people so I wanted more from my life and my mate worked in the car for the on Queen's Drive and this fella come up from London and he thought he was this big, you know, fly, fly macho man. And he's like, yeah, I'm come up here. I've got the heritage market. I own Camden in London. So me mate ends up getting into them and getting a job off them. So I was like, fucking get me in there as well. So she's like, all right, all right, I will. So one Saturday night, she was like, Casey, um, he's Frank said, come in tomorrow. He's got something for you. So I was like, I was right. Here's my days of coming here. Go down the heritage, all made up, 8 o'clock, and I've got to be in at 8 o'clock, gets there at 8 o'clock, thinking, I'm going to be doing something exciting. He's like, uh, uh, right, you, your costume's over there. I was like, costume? What are you on about? He's like, didn't you tell you? I was like, tell me what? He's like, oh yeah, you're an elf. I was a fucking elf in the grotto. Yep, and good old five foot two EMA, I was thinking, oh, so I looked at me mates to say, you, I've got to be shitting me, there's not a fucking chance I'm putting that elf's costume on, and he was like, I'll give you the one I was like, 100 quid, give me the costume, I want us, I want it, girls, and when you've got a baby, I was taking that money, so here's me, dressed as an elf, in the heritage market, absolutely cringing, thinking, no one I know better see me, because I will absolutely die of death, so I've got like my head down, like, Merry Christmas, giving the kids candy canes and chocolates and stuff, so I thought, and anyone who knows the Edisage Market, um, or anyone who doesn't, should I say, it is in Liverpool, on the waterfront, on the Mersey, it's December, and it's the coldest place on earth, I was like, can I wear a coat, he's like, fucking elves don't wear coats, you're supposed to be in the North Pole, so I'm dithering in my elves costume, so anyway, that went on for five weeks. Miss Thompson being an elf at the Heritage Market. And it comes to the end and I was like to the fella, can I have a job? He was like, no. I was like, fuck off your ass. I've come here every Sunday dressed as an elf. I deserve a job. 
He was like, no, you're not. That's all you're good for is being a fucking gulf. Little cheeky bastards. And I was like, just give me a job. So in the end, she was like, oh, for fuck's sake, you can answer the phones. So here's me, answering the phones in the Heritage. Good morning, Heritage Market, Liverpool, Kate speaking, who can help? Yep, that was me. And I worked there, and I did work hard. And I had probably one of the best times of my life. We had an absolute ball. I mean, a ball. This fella was just absolutely who owned it, was round the twist. And everyone who worked there was so young. And I think he was trying to reclaim his youth by having so many young people around him. And he'd just do wild things. He'd be like, right, come on, everyone in the car, we're all going to Blackpool for the day. This is fucking cracker. I'm getting paid a one in a day. And he's taking us all to Blackpool. What we did, honest to God, the traders, we had probably one of the best times of our lives. Some of the things I can't tell you on here because I might get arrested. But honestly, we had an absolute ball. So as time went on, his drinking problem. He got a drinking problem and it got worse and worse and worse. And crafty ass here. Um, and I'm not disputing that, girls. I am one crafty little cow. Um, but I've used it to my advantage. So I had, I was a little bitch and I'd say to them, um, hey, Ben, you can't drink a pint of vodka straight. And he'd go, yeah, I can. And I'd go, oh, 100% you can't, mate. No one can do that on this planet. They'd go, get me, a, get me a pint glass, get me the vodka, watch this. I'd be like pouring out glug, 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 glug into the pint glass. I'd go, go on, neck him one. He'd go, glug, 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 neck it. Right, evil ass. And then I'd go, oh, by the way, Frank gives me wages. He'd be like, 100, 200, 300, giving me wages. I'm used to all get paid for Sunday, and Sunday would come and I'd go, gives me wages. And he'd go, didn't I pay you? I'd be like, no, did you not? I'd be getting paid twice and everything. It's like, how? But, hey, we've got kids to feed. That's what we do. We do what we've got to do, girls. So as time went on, he, his drinking got worse and worse and worse and he started fucking up. And people in London, down in Belgravia, they own the heritage. So they said, um, I had to go off for a meeting with them. And they were up their own asses, snooty little bastards. And people like that, you play on the greed. And I knew that. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start talking telephone numbers to use and you're that greedy that you won't even be able to resist it you'll still be like eating out the palm of my hand and don't get me wrong I did have loads of plans in place and being my own city I thought do you know what the shitloads I should be doing with this but I wasn't in power then so I didn't have the ability to so I was like right right this is what I can make use and this is what I'll make and and you're like okay we'll give you the opportunity so at 25 years of age I became the owner of Liverpool Heritage Market, which was one of the most famous markets in the country, behind, like, the ones in London. So I thought, do you know what? It's abs- it was absolutely the capital, capital of counterfeit. Every single person come the Heritage to get their black designer wear, black CDs, black DVDs, black clothes, everything fake you could get at the Heritage market. And girls, I am not going to deny it, I was one of the biggest fans, so I've gone from having nothing, no money or whatever, and even though they were black, the next thing I'm bouncing around in all the top designer gear, and girls, when I say they were good, they were good. They're like identical. I can remember years ago having something real and putting it next to one of these fakes and you literally couldn't tell the difference. 
So it was major, major big money involved and Liverpool one was getting built and the designers had said, look, we're not coming to Liverpool unless you get rid of all your counterfeit. So they gave Liverpool City Council a load of money to eradicate counterfeit in the city. So they were coming down the heritage and raiding it sometimes three times a day and they were bringing lorries and carrying lorry loads of fake out of the heritage. They'd be gone five minutes and the lads would have it all stocked up again, back trading, la 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 la, and they started getting onto it and coming back and raiding it again and again and again in the day. So I remember speaking to one of the traders and from nine o'clock in the morning till 20 past nine, he had took £15,000 just on black. It was a big business and a lot of money involved. So it wasn't just like, oh, by the way, lads, you can't wait here anymore. Tatty, bye. No, they weren't having it. You wanted, that was their livelihoods. And probably they were making more money than drug dealers, if we're honest. But the police and Liverpool City Council were just not having it. They were like, right, enough's enough. It's going. So they come up with the new laws that come in saying that, you know, if you're knowingly taking the money from these people who are committing crime, you're part of it because you're taking proceeds of crime. You're taking rent off them knowing they're selling counterfeit. So you're benefiting from the crime and we're gonna we're gonna arrest you. I was like, oh shit. So I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? So like you've got to get it off or we're gonna end up doing you. So as I knew people in the city and not saying like oh god I'm dead macho I bounced out there and got rid of them all because that's a load of shit I didn't I had an employee security company of like someone who knew run the security company and I had to get them to like stand behind me while I said look you just can't do it no more and there was always a threat there that you know if you don't walk off you're getting through off not by me mighty mouse yeah by the security company so the blag had gone off the heritage and the heritage was a ghost town. That's what everyone come for all over the northwest to get the blag. Without that, it was diabolical. So I just took over this place. That was the thriving hub of, you know, markets. And all of a sudden, it was a shithole. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm signed up to this. I've, I've, there's no way out. So I had to totally reinvent the place. So I spoke to the film office in Liverpool and was saying look you know we've got abundance of space here and the character that you've got in these buildings is second to none so I was inviting production companies in to come and look at it as a location and luckily enough we got um Sherlock Holmes film there and we got Captain America film there and you know it was so surreal ah you're standing there and here's Jude Law standing next to you it's like I didn't expect this um, and that Chris Evans I didn't even know that Chris Evans was I'm like who's it and he looked at me as if to say you cheeky bitch but it was just madness it was just a crazy crazy part of my life and I made a lot of money girls as well so they, these film companies were coming in and paying fortunes fortunes to film there and I didn't have to do really fuck all because they were using a part of the building that I didn't even walk into I didn't even go near it. Then we start, so we had all that doing, BBC down there, Hollyoaks used to film there all the time. We were on first name terms with them all because we were there that much. And we were getting like commercials in. So that part of the business was doing really well. 
the market part I started it out as like I opened one of the halls as just for entrepreneurs so small business women who were just selling their own products I'd give them market stalls there for free and I was mentoring them and anyone who'd been in trouble with the police as well because you know I know how easy it is to fall on the wrong track it could have been me many a time so I always believe and I'll go on to that later on that we give back so it was becoming eclectic again. So I had loads of different things on there and um, where you could source something that you couldn't buy anywhere else. I wanted to make it that it was a, a place of destination where you wanted to go and go, I wish you get that out the editor, such go away, one of them. So slowly that was building again, the market was coming back. And in the editor, there was a disused nightclub that hadn't been used for years and had been shut down. And I was walking out and thinking, someone approached me then and said, um, can we do a rave in there? I was like, cracker. They got the tickets, I got the bar. So built a bar out of wooden crates all around there, got the security in, blah, blah, blah. What a buzz that was. We had 2,000 people in a warehouse, raving the tits off, paying a fiver for every bevy over the bar. Cha-ching! I was in again. So we had that going on. So it was just, everything was just booming. At the time, the market was booming. I had all my family working down there. I had all the food court. Um, I opened all the food units. All my aunties worked on there. Um, my other auntie took the cash in the cash office. So I knew no one was having me off because it was all my own family who was doing it for me. So, yeah. So, in 2011, um, it, the building was sold to an Irish company. And they come in and they were like, you know, were developing and at the time the council I've always had a really really and still have to this day a brilliant relationship with the war councillor for um Kirkdale he's been he do you know what he's an older man and he's straight as a whistle straight as they come I've had him up the wall for years but he's always supported me don't get me wrong I tell him this to his face I say to him do you know what you're an our bastard but I love you do you know what I mean he can be a pain in the ass but do you know what he's a great guy and he come and he said look you know we need the we need the development in Kirkdale, we need the money in, and it was, we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds, so yeah, that this Irish company were investing. So I said, okay, fine. So I found a new location, put in for me planning, I was getting it, everything was fine. And on the 11th hour, I was told I wasn't getting me planning permission, and that was it. The dream was over. So I'd invested about 100 grand into the planning. I got the people who'd done the planning application for Liverpool One to do me planning application for the market. And I'd spent fortunes on it, fortunes on the relaunch and everything else, because I thought, you know what, there's no reason why I won't get it. But I was naive thinking, and a bit arrogant probably thinking, yeah, I've got it. And I didn't, so I got shit on, didn't I? Um, and I tried to look for different locations, and there was just nowhere else that I could replicate the heritage market. So that was the end of that, that chapter in my life, but what a chapter it was, wouldn't change it for the world, I absolutely loved it, so from there I bought a couple of pubs, and was just doing bits, and um, do you know at the time, when I was in the Edisage, I lived in a big house in Orton, and I had loads of money around me, and everything else, but do you know what, I wasn't happy, and I can remember, I was in a relationship with someone, who used to batter me, one incident, I remember being in the bath in the ensuite in my house and he come in through the door and he held me under the bath and tried to drown me 
and I actually passed out under the water and I thought my life was horrendous it was so bad and everyone thought you know you've got money and what's what she got to moan about but behind closed doors your life is so much different I mean another time he attacked me and broke my arm I had a daughter in the house and I just I was just so fucking lonely and so messed up inside and even though I was being treated like that I I still wanted it because I was that insecure I was chasing something like now I look back and I could literally go and never mind someone else I could actually punch myself in the face for being such an idiot like why I, I, I don't understand now looking back if someone's done that to my daughter I'd seriously consider going and getting a gun and shooting them because I wouldn't let that happen to any of my kids um and I stayed there and oh yeah it was a bad time and I remember to get asleep and to just block everything else we have to take volume and I just didn't think nothing of it. I'd take you on every night to get asleep because I couldn't sleep. And I remember thinking, oh, no, what? I don't want to take them anymore. And I had proper withdrawals from them. I was being sick and everything, vomiting. I thought, this life is just not where I want to be. It's not. So I ended up ending the relationship and I met the father of my children. And I think out of everyone I've been with, I think he's the only one I actually fell in love with, truly did fall in love with him. And it was another oh, another whirlwind with him six months. It, no, not six months, I'm telling lies. Six weeks. Six weeks I was with him and we went on holiday to St. Lucia and we were both pissed and he said, shall we get married? And I said, yes. That was the Saturday. Sandals arranged it all for us. And on the Monday, I got married. I think everyone's jaws hit the floor and thought, oh, God, what's she done now? What has she done now? But anyway, we were happy. And he was under a restriction for mortgage fraud. He's had all his assets frozen. And without going too much into detail, because it's not really my story to share, it's his he had, and he'll tell you this honestly, he had a really bad time with drinking drugs and he'd gone from having everything and to having nothing because the police, he'd done mortgage fraud and he'd, what he'd done is in 2004, he'd got a self-state mortgage. He was a joiner and he got a self-state mortgage and on the piece of paper, on the form, he'd said he earned more than what he did. And I think he ended up with about 100 houses. And what they said is, if if you wouldn't have lied on that original mortgage form, you would never have accumulated the assets that you'd have. And we are taking everything. So I got pregnant in 2013 and was made up. So I, hadn't, I didn't have no other kids except Caitlin. And by this time, I think I was about 32. Absolutely over the moon. Go to the hospital for my 12-week scan. Amy, was it a 12-week? can't remember. Yeah, I think it's a 12-week scan. And they said there's an increased NT level beyond the baby's neck. And I'd never even heard of this. Didn't have it. Didn't know nothing about it. And they said it usually indicates that there's something wrong with the baby. So they said we think she's Down syndrome. So I had to go and have this needle in my belly and I'll never forget it. It was probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had to have this big, long needle and they pierce it in your belly. Like, I'm clenching. 
like talking about it now, and they put it in your belly and they take some of the fluids from the baby's sack and they tested it and everything else and they were like, no, she's not Down syndrome. They said, we think it's a heart. So at the time, you know, me and me and my ex-husband were having like problems and stuff. So I got into the car and I drove to Harley Street in London on my own and I went to see a fetal heart specialist um, and he looked at her heart and said, no, absolutely nothing wrong, everything's fine. So I was just like at a loss. So I think I got to about seven weeks and I went back again and they said, look, we're awful sorry, but her arms and legs haven't grew. And even if we carry on now, she's going to she's not going to survive because uh organs are being crushed inside her and i just remember standing there thinking like how has this happened and he said you know you've got to we are advising you to end the pregnancy now and i can remember standing in the hospital just thinking feeling like me whole world had just crashed around me the thought that a baby your baby's inside you and it once you become pregnant, that's your baby because you're bonding with that baby straight away. And I was just on the floor. And I had to... So I had to end the pregnancy. I can remember them giving me this tablet. And it was like something out of Alice in Wonderland. I remember when she's got the tablet, I was just like, oh, Matrix or something. I was just remember looking at it thinking, if I, this is, I take this and, you know, this is the end of the dream. I had to go into hospital and I had to give birth to her. And it was the day before Christmas Eve, it was the 23rd of December, I had her. And just remember sitting in the room and they said, you can, she can spend the night in the room with you. And you had your baby. But there wasn't there wasn't any plans to make it, what, you weren't going to take it home. That was the end. So the next day was Christmas Eve and... and come out of hospital and I had to try and make it make Christmas because I still had Caitlin and I remember just wanting to die inside because I was waiting I had to go to the funeral directors and um, arrange a funeral as well and I was just shell-shocked so a funeral come and there were so many things around that that happened it's like I'm still traumatised from it there were, I had loads of personal problems and I had to go and have I got a I thought you know what I'm never going to buy her a birthday present I'm never going to buy her a Christmas present so I got a four horses in a glass carriage and we took her to the crematorium we took her to the church and then we went to the crematorium and we put it, we laid it to rest with dignity. And I'll just jump forward a little bit. I had a cousin who, and it's so funny, um, well, it's not funny, but it's strange. He had, was born with no legs, probably the same condition that I call the baby Serena, probably the same condition that she had. And not long after, about 12 months later, he died. He didn't make his 40th birthday, and I was close to him. He was like my brother, him and our auntie were both like me two brothers. And when he was buried, I ended up putting Serena in with him because I knew 
he'd look after it and he'd keep her safe. So from there, I sunk into a really, really bad depression. I didn't want to get up, I didn't want to go out, I didn't want to do anything, my life had fell apart. And it was just a horrible, dark hole that I was in. And I remember thinking, I don't even want to be here anymore. And I thought, how selfish are you? You selfish bitch, you've still got Caitlin. You know, you've got to pull yourself back and you've got to get yourself back into it. And I did. And we decided to go away for um, me and Graham ended up going away. And we went to Mauritius and we were there for a month. And then from there we went to Thailand. Caitlin was staying with my mum. And while I was in Thailand, someone had said to me, um... So I remember hearing a conversation and it was about IVF over in Thailand Thailand, and you could have gender selection and they do a thing over there called PDG, I think it's called. And what they do is they slice a piece of the egg off and they make sure all of the chromosomes match up prior to putting the egg in you. And that was the problem that I'd had with Terena. It was a chromosome abnormality. Now, sometimes there'd be absolutely nothing wrong with your fertility, but two people can just, I just thought, well, maybe me and him don't match. And I just couldn't go through that again. There was no way I was going to have another baby and for me to end up having to have a funeral. I just couldn't. It would just write me off. So while I was there, I thought, right, well, I've got the money, I'm going to invest, and I am going to get IVF. So I spoke to Graham about it, and I think he was like, he wasn't for it at first. He was like, well, there's nothing wrong with us, we can both have kids. I said, no, I know that. I said, but I can't take the chance of leaving it to nature. And some people think that's wrong or whatever, and I don't really give a shit. If I think it's right and it's my life, I'm going to do it. So I went in and I started the IVF process and I got 20 eggs harvested, if that's the terminology, and 12 fertilised and three of them were good enough for implantation. So I got two boy eggs and a girl egg and they like grade them. I know it sounds like cattle, but it is what it is. And so I said, okay, I'll have the two egg boy eggs put in. And lo and behold, because there wasn't nothing wrong with my fertility and over there they are so advanced, I got pregnant with the twins. And reality set in, it was like, shit, I'm going to have two babies. And there wasn't even a big surprise because it wasn't even like a gender reveal. I actually knew it was two boys. So I embarked upon my journey having the boys and I was made up. Absolutely delighted. Had the boys in 2015. Only me. The kids are eight weeks old. I only get myself finds out I'm pregnant. Well, I nearly had a heart attack. So I had, again, I had the twins. I had a lot of personal problems. Again, it's not my journey to describe, but believe me, it was horrific. I had lots going on. And I was pregnant and I had the twins and I had the baby. So now I've got 12-month-old twins and a brand new baby and their dad went to jail. Yep, so I just bought the Sandon Complex. I was still trying to work. It was only my money coming in and I had three babies under one and was on my own with them. So I got me little cousin Patrick to move in and I had Caitlin and my family and my friends were just 
amazing. They all really pulled around me and they'd mind the kids where there were football matches on so I could earn money and I could get out there. And I think when he wasn't here and I was on my own with the kids, I felt liberated and I actually went and done work on myself as well because there's no tiredness. I was like pretty fucked up. And I went and I'd done a course. Some I started Vitality Homes, which was um, it's abstinence-based accommodation for people who suffered from drink and drug addiction. And it was something that I'm really, really passionate about because I'd been there with Graham and he got tried to go to so many places and the help just wasn't out there. So, you know, you can go into um you can go into recovery and the cost of council's a fortune as well and I work closely with the council and it was 15 it's like 15,000 pounds to get you through and then you come out and they put you back into the environment that made you take drugs in the first place so it was just revolving door so you'd go into rehab come out have the same shit and end up taking drugs again so I knew that there was in the care package there was a an, a place missing that you had to have a period of abstinence under your belt so me being me, goes and sources, one of the best people in the country, Jackie Johnson Lynch, got here on board, which wasn't easy. Um, things just fell into place with that again. Got here, Jackie on board, and she is our head of services. And when I first announced I was opening it, there was so much protest. People were standing outside um, the place in Waverley with placards, not on our doorstep. I was getting told to rot in hell. I had death threats and everything else. And I thought, no. Because they're not bullying me because I believe in this. I know I'll make a success of this. And I know I'll do it right. And lo and behold, 12 months later of being open, we went back to planning last week. And the first time we went to planning, we had 600 nod objections. We've been operating for 12 months. They give us 12 months planning permission. And we went back to planning last week. And there was not one complaint all the residents had wrote letters of support and we done it. So I even give myself a clap. Um, very, very proud. It's doing really well going from strength to strength. We're just about to open up our second house, which is 10 studio apartments. And it's a bit of a step down again. So that's really, really exciting. Um, so I wanted to come on today and use to get to know me. Because sometimes we just see each other's lives on social media and we only, let's be honest, we just show the good things. We're not going to go, oh God, I look like shit and I have had the worst absolute day. Everything's gone wrong in that court. Or do you know what? I'm depressed. Or do you know what? I'm lonely. Or do you know what? This is too hard. We never express them feelings and we never tell people how we feel. So Jordan Lockdown, I've just, I still suffer from depression today. I'm still on medication for depression because I can go from being on a high to just so low that during lockdown I went from being busy all the time and running around and everything else to nothing so I like crashed completely and I was like I haven't got nothing to get up for so I was just like and my depression when I suffer with it the only way I can describe it is that sleep is a magnet and I'm made of metal and it's just pulling me in so it's just easier for me to go to sleep. That's my depression. And I really did suffer with it. I'd had a big falling out with my friends before Christmas. That really, like, wasn't my closest friend that I've been friends with the whole of my life. And we had a re really big falling out. And it broke me heart that I was estranged from it. And do you know what? Right now it's still not resolved. But 
you know, hopefully down the line, um, it will be resolved. And one of my lads, I think I mentioned before, or if I didn't, I can't remember because I've gone on for that long. One of my lads has got ADHD and he's now being tested for autism. And he absolutely idolizes his dad. So his dad's at Graham's home now and we've been getting on brilliant. The kids absolutely adore him. He's done everything. He's really tried hard. He's been brilliant with the kids, really stepped up to the mark. So lockdown's been good, to be honest. I um, I probably needed that rest and I am so excited to get back to work and to start all my new little bits and pieces. So that's my story, girls, in a little brief nutshell. And I want to use my past experiences to help other women. I want to get other people on to come in and talk about themselves. This I've recorded once. I haven't gone back and edited. I haven't fucked around with it or whatever. This is authentic. This is real and it's not edited. This is the truth and this is people's lives. We are going to share with you. We're going to, I'm going to be interviewing women. I'm going to be saying to them, you know, tell us the truth. How's it been? And they'll say, you know, it hasn't been easy. This is not about fluffing um, fantasies. This is about real lives, real people, real women sticking together and helping each other. We're going to be finding out, you know, what mistakes people have made so that you don't have to make them mistakes. I really believe in this, girls, and I really, really think that we can make a go of it we can create something here that'll be wonderful so this was episode one and i'm so grateful for you taking the time out of your busy lives to actually sit and listen to me go on i really am grateful and i hope you have enjoyed it and i'm really looking forward to bringing series one to you where i've got some amazing girls lined up um brilliant we're the entertain yeah we'll have, be just like sitting having a gab with the girls that's what i want i want it to be like you're just sitting having a gab with the girls and we're just talking about life and um, there will be interactive as well so i'll be putting on social media who we're going to be interviewing so if you've got some questions that you'd like to be put to them make sure you follow us on instagram we'll be setting a facebook page up and also our new website which will be sisterhoodhq.com girls thank you i'm sending you all loads of love loads of light we're gonna smash it thanks for listening